You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. BC Ferries appears to have got the message loud and clear from disgruntled customers after a number of recent sailing delays and cancellations. Long weekend travel is off to a surprisingly good start. And for more, let's bring in our Cassidy Moscone from the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. Cassidy, it seems it's smooth sailing so far. It really is, Chris, and it's not just us that are surprised either. We've spoken to dozens of passengers down here at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal and also up at Horseshoe Bay, and everybody is feeling the love for BC ferries today, but we know that can change all too quickly. In BC, a long weekend usually starts with a long wait. Not today. How long have you been waiting? Has it been okay? Oh, wonderful. The best. Wow. Yeah, really nice. Are you yeah. surprised? Yes. Where you'd usually see cars parked up for kilometres, today lines moved freely at Horseshoe Bay and to Wasson. If you take a look at our numbers, we're up, you know. Uh, we've pat we're transporting more uh, foot passengers and, and passengers overall uh, than before. Minor delays may have felt long in the hot August heat, some finding relief on what is usually the busiest weekend on the calendar for our ferry system. From Thursday through to Tuesday, more than 580,000 travellers expected to board a BC ferry. 210,000 vehicles will be skippered across two. Along the major routes, there will be more than 400 sailings, travelling more than 12,000 nautical miles. How long have you been waiting for? Uh, about like 15 minutes, I think. That's not very long at all. <laughs> about an hour, maybe at the most. Okay, and you didn't have a reservation? Nope. Were you nervous about that? A little bit. But the weekend didn't get off to a good start. Last night, the Queen of Surrey was pulled from the Horseshoe Bay to Langdale route, a problematic propeller to blame for some delays. The Queen of Coquitlam stepped in and no sales were cancelled. So an all-in-all all successful day here for BC Ferries on its busiest weekend of the year. Chris, our reporters will be keeping you updated from the ferry terminals all long weekend. Let's hope it stays this way, Cassidy. Thanks very much. That's Cassidy Moscone live in Tawasson. All right, now to the wildfire situation. And firefighters in B.C. won't be getting any breaks this long weekend. It's been a tough week for crews after several fires roared toward homes. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, with hotter than normal temperatures, it's almost certain there will be new fires to fight. It's been a challenging week for B.C. firefighters. On the east shore of Adams Lake, crews managed to save all the homes directly in the path of a fire that tore down a mountainside during an unexpected wind shift. At Gun Lake, west of Lillooet, homeowners were not as fortunate. Despite structure protection units on scene and some homeowners battling flames on their own, the fire destroyed five homes and several outbuildings. Residents in the area with nothing but praise for fire crews who hit this fire hard when it was first sparked by lightning. Then a continued effort by the BC wildfire with helicopters strategically placing water for three weeks straight. 
But Ches Hagen, along with others in the area, have questions whether the strategy employed by BC Wildfire made things worse. On August 1st, crews conducted several planned ignitions. Considering the weather and the likelihood of gusty winds, it seemed to locals the risks compared to the potential rewards were just too great. The concern for a planned ignition or backburn was that it can go wrong. And if it does, it can go very wrong. And so I think for some of us, the question is, how is that decision made? The incident management team responsible for the Downton Lake fire says the plan was to decrease the impacts of the fire and steer it away from key locations. According to an email, the defensive burn strategy was having success, but winds shifted from southwesterly to a more westerly component and increased in speed, gusting close to 50 kilometers an hour. The statement goes on to say the strong winds coupled with dense fuel loads pushed the fire towards homes. The outcome of fire reaching as far down towards Gun Lake as it did was inevitable. Fires continue to start around BC. A blaze believed to be human-caused on Vancouver Island was clearly visible from Port Alberni Thursday night. According to Environment Canada, this weekend could be anywhere from 4 to 7 degrees warmer than usual around the province. But rain and cooler weather is forecasted for next week. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And 16 regions across the province are under a smoky skies bulletin right now because of those wildfires. Most of the southern interior and Kootenays are affected. There are more than 350 wildfires burning in B.C. right now, including 15 that are highly visible or threaten human health and safety. Meteorologist Derek Lee says there is hope the smoke will dissipate next week. The smoke will always be a problem kind of downwind of the fire, and it really depends on the wind strength and the directions that control where the smoke is going to be headed. But generally next week, with those showers in place, we're going to get a flow from the Pacific, which can bring cleaner air to speak, and that hopefully materializes to be the forecast for next week. So far, there are no air quality statements for Metro Vancouver, the coast, or northern parts of the province. Stage two watering restrictions begin today across Metro Vancouver. Travis Prasad shows us what the restrictions mean for residents and when you can and cannot turn on the taps. Water levels here at the Capilano Reservoir are normal for this time of year. The Metro Vancouver Regional District says water supply is in good shape. But what's concerning, water usage is way up, 20% higher than last year prompting stage two water restrictions for the first time since 2015. To be cautious, just to make sure that we get through to the fall when we can count on cooler temperatures, more rain. We just have to make the restriction, don't water your lawn. Lawn watering is banned across the region. Metro Vancouver calls it the biggest use of water outside of the house and wasteful. If you don't water your lawn, the grass will turn brown, but it won't die. You can't use a sprinkler on your lawn, but you can still use one in your garden any day between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. You can also water your flowers, bushes, and trees with a hose anytime, as long as you've got one of these nozzles with automatic shutoff. And if you don't have one of these, a good old-fashioned water jug is still allowed. Personal and commercial car washing is allowed, but washing impermeable surfaces like driveways and sidewalks is prohibited, unless it's for health and safety reasons or you're preparing the surface for painting or similar treatment. Aesthetic cleaning by commercial cleaning companies is still permitted. 
The Vancouver Park Board is keeping the water on at spray parks, but turning off decorative fountains. Think about the the water, the same drinking water that's coming out of your tap for drinking, cooking, is the water that's coming out of the hose or the irrigation system and really prioritizing that for the rest of the drought. Nicknames like Raincouver and the Wet Coast suggest there should be an infinite supply of water in the region, but conservation experts say that's simply not the case. We've had below average precipitation for nearly 12 months, which means that the ground has very limited amounts of water in it. Penalties for violating stage two restrictions vary across municipalities. In Vancouver, it's a $500 fine. Travis Prasad, Global News. A frightening close call for a West Vancouver woman when a tree fell on her car while she was inside. It happened just after noon in a parking lot on the 1400 block of Clyde Avenue. The tree came down coincidentally on a Nissan Leaf. The woman made a panicked phone call to her husband who rushed to the scene. Uh, she was crying and said, I just come to my car. She's working here in the beauty salon and said, I just come to the car to pick something. And suddenly the tree has slipped on my car. My brother and sister-in-law, they take her to Jim Patterson Hospital. She felt some stressful and there was some, I could say, crunch in the muscle of the necks right now. Oh, wow. No word at this point on what caused the tree to fall, but many trees are stressed in the drought. Workers were considering bringing in a crane to lift the tree to limit further damage to the car. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 11th homicide of the year. It happened in the early hours of this morning in the Granville Entertainment District. As Kristen Robinson shows us, it's one of several violent incidents on that strip over the past few months. Firefighters wash away the blood from the latest stabbing in Vancouver's Granville Entertainment District. This one fatal for a 32-year-old man, the victim of the city's 11th homicide of the year. Businesses and residents here not surprised by the violence. It's gotten bad to the point where it's, it's not even shocking anymore. Around here, people dies and it's like almost normal. A section of Granville closed for hours as investigators gathered evidence. Police say officers responded to Granville and Smythe Streets just before 3.30 a.m. The stabbing victim was rushed to hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. Few other details are being released. Was this a random homicide or were the people involved known to each other? At this point, we don't have very much information. We don't know if it was random uh, or we don't know if it was targeted. So we do need people to come forward, anyone with information, to call us. Last month, a tourist was stabbed in a random attack at the corner of Nelson and Granville. He got me really good the first time. Police say the 28-year-old man from New Zealand was stabbed from behind by a man he did not know. The victim took himself to hospital for treatment. It's been an increase in the last at least year that I've been on this street. Just with the stabbings and the shootings and stuff like that, it's always something to the point where we're not even phased anymore, which is kind of brutal. In March, three men were stabbed near Granville and Nelson. January, particularly violent. A 30-year-old Good Samaritan was stabbed and wounded while trying to help a homeless man on Granville. Three days later, a 32-year-old suffered life-threatening injuries in a shooting on Granville near Nelson. Five days later, a 42-year-old man also clinging to life after a stabbing near Granville and Smythe. I that in the night side. In the night, you could hear some gunshot in the alleys or the street around. And it happens a lot around here. No arrests have been made in Friday's fatal stabbing. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
BC's police watchdog has cleared a Vancouver police officer in the shooting of a man who slashed several people with a knife. It happened in this Granville Street rooming house above the Roxy nightclub on August 6th of last year. Firefighters responded to reports of a man who was attempting to set his room on fire. The man, who was experiencing paranoia and hallucinations, tried to attack the firefighters with a knife. He then proceeded to attack several residents, including a woman who lost three fingers. When officers arrived, the man advanced towards them with the knife. An officer fired a taser and then two bullets, one of which struck the man's leg. The IIO says the officer acted reasonably in firing his weapon, adding his quick actions were possibly life-saving. Voting has just ended on a deal that could put an end to weeks of disruption and uncertainty at B.C. ports. In a few hours, the results will tell us if there is finally an end to the labor dispute. More than 30 port terminals and other sites were shut down for 13 days in July. Just a week ago, the union voted down a previous agreement. Results are expected around 9 o'clock tonight, and we'll have them for you right here on Global B.C. Striking workers targeting an airline today for sending passengers to hotels across picket lines. Workers protested outside the terminal at Vancouver International Airport. They say Air Canada has been sending passengers to the Hilton and Marriott Airport hotels in Richmond, both of which are behind a picket line because of a strike at the adjacent Sheraton Hotel. All three hotels have the same owners, and together they form the largest hotel complex in B.C. The workers have been on strike since June 14th, and they want Air Canada to stop sending passengers and crews to the hotels while this dispute is ongoing. The city of Vancouver is bringing to an end a pilot project that turned two blocks of U Street into a car-free, pedestrian-friendly area. The verdict... Well, reaction was mixed, but bottom line, it didn't work. The pilot began on June 30th. The city blocked off U to vehicles between First and Cornwall. The goal was to improve public life, pedestrian comfort, and the vibrancy of the area. The city says it launched the pilot in response to requests from some local businesses. But in the end, some of the businesses found it too disruptive, and they weren't benefiting from the project. The street will be reopened to vehicular traffic next week. Telecommunications giant TELUS announces thousands of layoffs, what it means for employees and customers of the Vancouver-based company, and why TELUS says it had to make the move. That's next on the News Hour. Vancouver Island's largest music festival, what it's like now that Sunfest is in full swing. That's later on the news hour. And Tim Hortons floats a new drive-through concept, where you can find this one a little later. Right now, though, another Canadian telecom giant is slashing its workforce. BC-based TELUS announcing it's cutting 6,000 jobs after a steep drop in its second quarter profits. As Richard Zussman reports, critics, though, are crying foul. We're home to approximately 75,000 engaged team members across the globe. It's a company promising to make the future friendly. Now TELUS telling 6,000 workers their future doesn't include a job with them. Preparing to ensure we continue to be very competitive in the market. We need to align our, our cost structure to what that looks like. The telecom giant and BC's largest private sector employer announcing layoffs Friday. To blame, second quarter profits down 61 percent. 
4,000 workers gone from the main TELUS business, 2,000 from TELUS International, the company employing 108,000 people as of the end of last year. TELUS not providing any details when asked how many jobs are in Canada, specifically BC and Alberta. While it's always incredibly difficult to be impacted by a downturn at a company, this is a pretty strong labour market. There are a lot of opportunities in British Columbia right now. The company saw significant growth during the pandemic. CEO Darren Entwistle pocketing a salary of more than $17 million last year. Setting our team members up for success is important to drive... But a cooling economy is catching up to a company economists say overhired during good times. Tell us a big uh, employer for BC, it does kind of signal that there is a slowdown coming and one that we have anticipated uh, probably longer than we probably should have, but because it hasn't happened yet. Some of the job losses include retirements and positions that won't be filled. In a statement, TELUS did not provide any specifics in terms of what divisions are impacted, but the United Steelworkers, the union representing a number of TELUS employees, says it covers a whole range from technicians to customer service. I think the telecom industry wants to turn their workers into salespeople. They're not interested in customer service and providing, um, you know, a, a positive interactions. It's about just uh, maximizing as much profit as possible at the expense of workers. The union cautioning TELUS customers these layoffs will impact service, with concerns even more cost-cutting could be on the way. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, for a little more on this story, we'll bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, despite all of the trouble at TELUS, BC's economy seems to be holding steady. Yeah, StatsCan's monthly labor market uh, survey came out today. And for the most part, I think some encouraging news for British Columbia. Uh, first of all, the, employment the unemployment rate remains fairly low, 5.4%. That's actually down 0.2 points uh, from uh, the previous month in uh, June. Not July, that's my mistake. Uh, that's the fourth lowest in, in, British, uh, fourth lowest in all of Canada. 4,100 more full-time jobs. That's the good news. The bad news, there are fewer, fewer 5,700 fewer part-time jobs. Now, overall, the science and tech sector continues to have a hiring spree. Uh, Brenda Bailey, the jobs minister, pointed out there are layoffs in science and tech sector, as we saw with, with TELUS, but many of the people in that sector end up getting more other jobs within that sector. Our tech sector is the fastest growing tech sector in North America, not just in Canada. And many of those 9,700 jobs will be in the tech sector. The tech sector's also experienced some layoffs, but people are also finding work after they have a layoff experience. So, so a lot of financial analysts today came back with the finding that they think that there's a result of Canada losing 6,400 jobs nationally when expected there had been expected to be an addition of 21,000 jobs. That may force or convince the Bank of Canada to hold off any future rate increases and perhaps not have a scheduled rate increase in the fall. And that'd be very good news. For mortgage holders especially. All right, thanks very much, Keith. That's Keith Baldry in Victoria. Just ahead, a warning if you're heading out on the water. The fact is water is unpredictable and anything can happen to anyone. How it pays to be extra cautious, especially this long weekend. And as the Pride Party kicks off in Vancouver, a reminder in some countries, it's still a matter of life and death. Good evening and good news. Final clearing stages of a two-car crash here in Coquitlam, westbound on Lowheat Highway, just before Colony Farm. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Coquitlam.
A Russian warship was seriously damaged in an overnight Ukrainian drone attack on Russia's Black Sea naval base. The civilian port, which handles roughly 2% of the world's oil and grain supply, temporarily halted all ship movement following the attack. Ukrainian officials say the Russian ship was seriously damaged and video shows it listing badly. Ukraine says all Russian statements about a repelled attack are fake. And that's because Russia's defense ministry says the two Ukrainian sea drones that performed the mission were repelled and destroyed outside the base and then reported no damages. It's estimated roughly 100 Russian servicemen and 450 kilograms of TNT were on board the vessel at the time of the attack. No injuries have been reported so far. This weekend's Pride celebration has special meaning for one Vancouverite. She fled her home in Iran, fearing she might be killed for who she is. And now that she's here, she's determined to share her Iranian pride. Negar Mojtehedi has the story. Shia Goldus's pride is not a secret anymore. The pride flag and her native flag of Iran united. A moment unthinkable for the transgendered woman. It's so important people see we are here, we are living, we are Iranian LGBTQ. Behind the cheers and celebrations, a darker truth. I had a lot of problem in Iran as a trans woman. Harassment and discrimination. Uh, but you can't go to police and you can't tell to police because it's your fault because uh, you are different. Shia had gender affirmation surgery in 2012 and feared for her life in Iran. Now she's seeking refuge in Vancouver. Iran was unsafe for me and is unsafe for the peoples like me. In September, two Iranian women sentenced to death. Amnesty International says it was due to their perceived sexual orientation and gender identity, and defending LGBTQ plus rights on social media. The United Nations is demanding their release. Homosexuality is punishable by death in Iran. Arsham Parsi is a queer activist exiled for love. The only disagreement between clergies is the method of killing. Some believe that they have to be stoned to death, some believe that they have to be hanged, and some believe that they have to be cut in half by a sword. He's an Iranian gay man living in Canada. I decided to do something in order to stop these kind of inhuman and barbaric actions. Arsham founded the International Railroad for Queer Refugees and the Marjan Foundation, helping the queer community of the Middle East. These are the pictures the Rainbow Kids in Iran sent to us. Shia is now doing her part to help people back home, with Iran's rainbow children turning to her on social media for support. They hold the rainbow flag or transgender flag at the street in Iran. We are trying for freedom here in Iran too. Look at, <laughs> look at my skin. I think they are so brave. Bravery on the front lines of a battle for basic human rights. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. Just ahead, a tropical intruder that can really spoil your summer. Why you want to do everything you can to avoid the spike in cyclospora infections. Next.
steady traffic in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge this evening. Do keep in mind, though, there is overnight road work affecting northbound traffic and also at the north end of the bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Of course, one of the best ways to get relief from the summer heat is to get out on the water, but long weekends are notoriously dangerous for drownings. As Megan Cobb reports, the Canadian Water Safety Agency is reminding all of us it doesn't take much for things to go wrong. There's no better place to be in the summer than at a beach. When it's hot out, like we try and go every day, just because it's not fun being cooped up. And water is a great way to kill the time. But with water comes risk. Data from the Life Saving Society shows between four and 500 Canadians fatally drown every year. And according to Statistics Canada, drowning is one of the leading causes of death among children. It doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are, how much training you have, what your skill level is. The fact is water is unpredictable and anything can happen to anyone. Experts say drowning can occur within 20 seconds and in as little as one inch of water for babies and young children. For the 92% of children under five who drown, the cause was a lack of supervision, a trend that has continually increased. A lot of people expect to hear a lot of splashing, you know, screaming for help. That really isn't the way that it happens. So we need everyone to be aware that when someone is swimming, you really have to have your eyes on them. The Life Saving Society says drowning can be prevented through layers of protection, including vigilant supervision and wearing life jackets. And families trying to beat the August heat take that seriously, knowing how quickly something can go wrong. I'll be swimming with them, so if anything happens, I'll be hopefully be able to grab them by the back of their life jackets and pull them to safety. First rule, don't dive straight away near the water. Second rule, don't wander off with your without your parents. Being with them around the water when they're in the water, it's important to just kind of have them arm's length. Fatal drownings have slightly increased over the past 20 years in Alberta, but for each fatality, there are six non-fatal drownings that can cause lung issues and lifelong impairments. Megan Cobb, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, the BC Centre for Disease Control says this province is seeing a spike in cyclospora infections with nasty symptoms that can last for weeks. It's urging people to be aware of the risk and know what to do while traveling and at home in the kitchen. Julie Nolan reports. Travelers from tropical places like Peru, Cuba or Mexico might be familiar with a parasite called cyclospora. And when they get home, they end up with lingering gastrointestinal issues. Prolonged diarrhea is something that, uh, that stands out with, uh, with cyclospora. Causing fatigue, dehydration and weight loss, the infection goes on for weeks and weeks after returning home. But now, BC's Centre for Disease Control is reminding the public that this parasite is here in Canada. A total of 43 cases in BC and at least nine of them were not due to travel. The CDC says it's an increase they haven't seen in several years and it's turning up in imported foods like lettuce, broccoli and cherries. The advice? Rinse off that purchased produce thoroughly. Taking those precautions, you know, both, uh, both uh, when you're traveling uh, and certainly when you're here locally as well, making sure that your, your produce gets washed really, really well, maybe some extra, extra caution. The CDC is reminding people when traveling abroad to be sure to boil water that's used for drinking, making ice cubes, washing uncooked produce, making baby formula, brushing teeth or washing dentures. 
So if you're experiencing diarrhea, vomiting, cramps, or even fever, it's lasting more than a few days. Certainly you want to get that you want to get that checked out. And see your doctor right away. Julie Nolan, Global News. Health Canada has approved the first vaccine for respiratory syncytial virus, syncytial virus, for adults age 60 and over. The vaccine is called Arexvi. The manufacturer says clinical trials showed it's 82% effective at preventing lower respiratory tract disease caused by RSV. Doctors have been calling for an RSV vaccine for seniors, saying older people are much more likely to become severely ill and require hospitalization. Coming up, visiting Vancouver Island's biggest music festival. A little line dancing with record crowds ready to celebrate country music in the Cowichan Valley. And what a moment for this rookie in his first ever Major League at bat, his connection to Vancouver, coming up in sports. Hey, BC, it's time to show your pride. Join the fun and festivities as the Vancouver Pride Parade returns August 6th. Bring your friends and let's reconnect as we celebrate pride in partnership with Global BC. Global News at Noon. All your local news. All your breaking news. We begin today with breaking news. Stay on top of today's stories with Global News at Noon. Weekdays on Global BC. One of the big stories across the province is those wildfires. Spare a thought and some encouragement for our wildfire crews. Uh, Steph's here with details of some lightning in the area. Absolutely, and we are also, just the heat is on, really, to kick off the long weekend. So we're looking at the temperatures right now. Uh, Lillooet is taking the lead for BC and Canada for the hot spot today. That just beat Lytton, and we just broke a record in Nelson today at 35 degrees. So heat and the potential of more lightning and thunderstorms are on the way. As you can see, here's Lytton's 10-day forecast. So uh, once we get past Saturday, uh, we are looking at that change and more lightning and thunder coming in, as well as a significant drop in temperatures. Let's take a look now at Metro Vancouver and our 10-day trend. So even Vancouver are going to be seeing quite a drop. And now we're looking at seeing some of those showers rolling in as early as Sunday evening into Monday. But uh, really looking at Tuesday, Wednesday is seeing the potential of some significant precipitation, if I can get that out there. Um, okay, here's a look at your air quality statements that are currently in place. Fraser Canyon North, so anywhere around Lillooet, Merritt, south of Kamloops, we have those air quality statements in place for the next likely. 48 hours. Uh, we've gone down to the moderate risk as far as air quality. So the past few hours we have seen an improvement. We should continue to see an improvement once we get past the next few days and this change rolls in. Increasing cloud for your Saturday. There's that risk of thunderstorm activity as well as some showers. We'll see that to the northeast section of the province as well. And there's that system pushing in as early as Sunday night. So change is on the way. Drop in temperatures. Enjoy the heat if that's what you're looking for for the long weekend. Northern B it's going to be nice, a few clouds in the mix, but hot. Quinell hitting 30 degrees, same with Smithers. There's that active weather. Whitehorse seeing the local smoke. And for southern BC, we're looking at those smoky skies. So that's going to continue for a couple days. Castlegar, you saw for the Kootenai region, expecting the thunderstorm activity. Tofino, some fog, drizzle for Port Hardy. Sunshine Coast hitting about 28 degrees, so a nice warm one, 23 to 29. And we'll see that increasing cloud for your day tomorrow. Mix the sun and cloud for the next few days. 
Risk comes in Sunday night and likely to see most of those showers Tuesday into Wednesday. Let's take a look at our Centra windows weather window. I love this photo. Juniper Beach, that's in the Thompson that was sent in by Jeff Richards. Just a gorgeous shot of the train coming in there. Yeah, that's a gorgeous shot. Thanks love very it. much. Thanks, Steph, and thanks, Jeff, for sending that in. All right, this caught our eye today, wondering if we're going to get one in B.C. Tim Hortons is offering up, offering up a service that makes it more convenient to grab your coffee and go if you happen to be on a boat. Tim Hortons' first ever boat through will be setting sail this weekend, but only on Lake Scugog in Ontario. The aquatic drive through not just limited to people with boats. People can paddle up to in canoes, kayaks, or paddle boards. Boaters will be able to enjoy a selection of drinks for free without having to dock. Sadly, it's a limited time only pro uh, promotion, but if the program makes a splash, who knows? Maybe one day we'll see it sail into BC. Come on, Tim Hortons. <laughs> we want one of those too. Not my first choice of double double on a boat, but I'll take it. Yeah, that's right. All right, Barry's in for Squire tonight. Uh, wow, what a game for the Lions last night, and not in a good way. No, no, this uh, I didn't see this one coming. I don't think they did either. Uh, you know, the Lions don't lose often, but when they do, they don't fool around. It was ugly. 50 to 14, Winnipeg. Nothing to say, really, David. They played their best game, and we didn't. The Lions gave up more touchdowns last night, six, than they had in the first seven games of the year combined. Like I said, ugly. So ugly. Also tonight, Vancouver Island goes country, expecting record crowds at Sunfest. night to watch some footy tonight and a big mm -hmm. game for the White Cats. Yeah, the roof should be open I would think. Hopefully have a uh, festive crowd. Maybe Vanny uh, can put on a show along the sidelines. His team can do the same on the field. <laughs> we always expect the first one. Never never quite sure about the second one. We'll see. For Thanks sure. Chris. Uh, the Whitecaps uh, host Mexican side Tigres tonight. 7.30 at BC Place. It is a knockout game in the round of 32 of the League's Cup. Win and move on, lose, and the Whitecaps will get a couple of weeks off before resuming their MLS schedule. Vanny is loving the fact the Whitecaps have gotten a chance to play some quality Mexican teams in this competition. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing for us, uh, and us, I, I mean the MLS teams, to tap into a different culture, like the Mexican culture that like we've seen with Leon here, a lot of fans, a lot of... Uh, uh, our fans raising out, out the, their usual level of, uh, I would say, chanting and everything because they, they had a competition. Now, Tigres rather are one of the top teams in Mexico and will provide a very stiff test for Vanny and company to set up the match. Here's the radio voice of the Whitecaps, our own Asa Raymond down at BC Place. Yeah, Barry, the last time the Vancouver Whitecaps faced Tigres was in 2017. It was a two-match series where the Whitecaps lost 4-1 on aggregate. But this is a very different team. Russell Tybert, the only player that was a member of that team. Some new faces and the Whitecaps feeling pretty good going into this game. I'm joined by color commentator on AM730 for this match, Colin Miller. Colin, what sort of advantages do the Whitecaps have against Tigres today? 
well, home advantage is massive. And in playing on a plastic surface, they're, uh, they're not used to playing that in Mexico, of course. So those are two things right away, Asa. Uh, I, I see lots of Mexican jerseys, a lots of t uh, Tigres jerseys uh, coming into the stadium here tonight. So I expect to see a bouncing atmosphere as well as, uh, as we saw in Le the Leon fixture. But it's a big test for the White Cups here. It's not often the quality side like uh, Tigres comes to Vancouver. Uh, Mexican champions, current Mexican champions, of course. Uh, a big test for the White Caps. But we, we, we've got the opportunity here to make a statement. And uh, if the White Caps apply themselves, we have a great opportunity to make that statement. Ryan Gold's been very good for the Vancouver White Caps. He starts and wears the captain's armband once again for Vancouver. How important has he been and what have you noticed from him in recent weeks? He's, uh, he's been the catalyst for so many positive things this season for the Whitecaps. Uh, off to a slowish start, but since then he's come on leaps and bounds. He's uh, been in the heart of a lot of attacking moves, and hopefully one day he can get into the Scotland squad as well. That would be a real bonus for us. Yeah, he's been very good. Several players uh, in great form going into this game. Sergio Cordova as well. Brian White also the leading scorer for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Should be a great game here at BC Plates. Kickoff just after 7.30. All right, thanks, Asa. That uh, loud thud you heard last night about 8.30, that was the Lions crashing back down to earth. The uh, Blue Bombers and Zach Kalaros picked apart a Lions defense that had been considered uh, impenetrable, but the Bombers hung 50 points on the Lions. To put that in perspective, in their six wins this year, the Lions have allowed 49 points total. The Bombers beat that in one game, and now both teams are tied atop the West with 6-2 and two records. Needless to say, at this point, with the score 50 to 14, reports of the demise of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were greatly exaggerated. After weeks of basking in the adulation of putting up jaw-dropping stats, the Lions' defense took a shot squarely on the jaw from the Blue Bombers. Winnipeg came out swinging with haymakers and landed them, all of them. Nothing to say really, David. They played their best game and we didn't. We didn't show up. Uh, the biggest thing, what we can do now is just go back uh, to Vancouver and, you know, get our bodies healthy and just learn from our mistakes. I know our DBs will be, uh, um, you know, fired up and excited to get on to the next one. So uh, um, I don't think that's indicative of how they, they normally play. But like I said, I give, I give Winnipeg credit. They did a good job. The Bombers torched the Lions for 447 passing yards and 576 total yards, about double what the Lions usually allow. And to add injury to insult, the Bombers' defense also knocked Lions starting quarterback Dane Evans out of the game. Former Lion Adam Big Hill planted Evans with a heavy shot late in the first half, and Evans ended up sitting out the second half with a rib injury. But it sounds like Vernon Adams Jr. is ready to come back next weekend against the Stampeders. I think it would be very reasonable to say that uh, that he has a very good chance of uh, starting the game against Calgary. But we'll see. We got we got time on our side, which is good. We we got a nine-day week, which uh, is going to be very helpful to uh, buy some time to see how some of these guys are, including uh, VA. And uh, he's back. We'll be excited, and he'll be ready to go. Hockey now. It's August. Why not? Canada-USA in the semis of the Gretzky-Holinka Cup from Slovakia. It's a U18 tournament. Tied at two in the second. Canada five-on-three power play. Berkeley-Catton. 
from the Spokane Chiefs makes it 3-2. And then later on another power play, check out this goal. Porter Martone going to take care of business by himself. This is the definition of coast-to-coast. -coast. Great speed, dangles the entire U.S. team, and then finishes with a fantastic deke. Canada, with the four B.C. players on the roster, wins 7-2. So they will meet Czechia in the gold medal game tomorrow, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning our time. Great moment from the Blue Jays game tonight at Fenway in Boston. 24-year-old rookie Davis Schneider, a former Vancouver Canadian, first major league at bat, smashes a homer over the Green Monster. Unfortunately, it came off Ladner's James Paxton. But check out the smile here on Davis as he rounds third. He considered quitting when he was with the Canadians because he wasn't playing. But what a thrill. Homer in his first at-bat doesn't get better than that. And the Jays do lead 6-3. They haven't beaten Boston this year, but it looks like they finally might do it. What a moment for him. And I got a couple of golf notes. Adam Svensson is third after the second round at the Wyndham Championship as he goes for his second win of the year. And congrats to Lauren Kim of Surrey. She won the Canadian Women's Amateur in Halifax. And not only that, but she gets an exemption now into the Canadian Women's Open at Shaughnessy later oh, wow. in the month. So she has to play against the pros. So congrats to Lauren Kim. Good for her. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Well, there's only two kinds of music in the Cowichan Valley this weekend, country and western. Sunfest is coming up next. Yeehaw. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, we are watching for results of the vote by port workers on whether to accept a deal to end the labor unrest. We'll keep you posted on that. Also tonight, a BC family is appealing for help finding their mother who hasn't been heard from in a week. Lizanne Hirsch was reported missing last Sunday. Her unlocked vehicle, keys still inside, has been found near Hope. We'll hear from the woman's daughter at 11 tonight. Chris. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. So thousands of people will head to the Cowichan Valley this weekend for a major country music festival. A big post-pandemic crowd is expected, making the journey to Sunfest an adventure all its own. Kylie Stanton reports. Big names draw big crowds. And this year is expected to set a new record. It's going to be comparable to the Eric Church year for sure. So, you know, teetering on being our biggest show to date. Organizers here at Sunfest Country Music Festival expect between 12 and 14,000 people on site every day. Excited to have some fun this weekend. Campers began arriving as early as Wednesday. The 1,400 spots set to be filled by the time things really kick off on Friday evening. We've uh, come early every year for the last couple years, and it's been nice, smooth sailing coming in. Everything's pretty good. Everything's like pretty organized. But those who've waited won't be as lucky. The sheer volume of people heading to the venue, paired with the typically heavy long weekend traffic, means drivers can expect some major delays. BC's Ministry of Transportation warned significant traffic congestion was expected along the Malahat Corridor as early as Thursday evening. It wasn't wrong. 
The good news, officials planned to stop construction in an effort to support the flow of traffic, saying in a statement, work at the Malahat Tunnel Hills site will be paused from noon on Friday until 7 a.m. Tuesday. Arrive early. The worst thing you can do is show up late into the evening because you're going to be dealing with big crowds and, and it's going to take you a while just by nature of there being a lot of people. It's going to take you a while to get onto site. The trip from Victoria to Lake Cowichan typically takes an hour and 15 minutes, but festival organizers estimate this weekend will be nearly quadruple that. We're getting that from a lot of our crew that are coming up here to work uh, throughout the weekend that it's taking them up to four hours to get up here due to the traffic on the Malahat. But if you ask anyone who's already made the trek, they'll tell you once you get here, it's definitely worth it. It's everyone getting together for one reason, and that's just one damn good party. Kylie Stanton, Global <laughs> News. Who could resist a damn good party? All right, have fun up there and be safe. Uh, last word on weather with Steph before we go. We're expecting some change on the way. The potential of even some showers pushing in Sunday night into Monday, but Tuesday into Wednesday is definitely going to be the day. So uh, enjoy the warmth because we're going to see a cool down into Wednesday and then we need this rain really badly. <laughs> yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully it greens things up a little bit when it gets here. Helps the firefighters out a little bit too. Steph, thanks very much. If you are enjoying the long weekend, we hope you have a safe one. Thanks very much for watching us and have a great weekend.